Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to another exciting episode of Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. Uh, my name is Anurag Rana, and I'm joined today with my colleague, Sunil Rajgopal, to chat with the CEO of Dynatrace, Rick McConnell, to take us through the various disruption his company is undertaking. Um, and to start off with, uh, Rick, can we just st- give us a quick overview of you know, your background and how you got involved with Dynatrace? Sure. Thanks very much for having me, Anurag. Much appreciated. Uh, my my background uh, was most recently as president of Akamai for about uh, about ten years, uh, followed by the last two years as CEO of Dynatrace. I know, excellent. Um, perhaps you know our podcast focuses on a lot of disruptors uh, that are you know shaking one particular market. So please, uh, perhaps you can you know give us a bit of a history of how Dynatrace was formed and how you um, ended up getting involved with the company. Sure. Well, the uh, the market for observability is uh, expected to be on the order of a $50 billion market for observability and application security uh, in a related way. So it's quite a substantial market. And, and one of the reasons the market is so significant and is growing so rapidly is because of the evolution and advent of digital transformation and cloud migration. So we see that the uh, the three major hyperscalers now, GCP, AWS, and uh, and Azure, are are generating a huge amount of revenue as workloads move to the cloud. This is creating a massive explosion in data and a rapid increase in its complexity. The result of that is it is becoming harder and harder and harder to operationalize how you are managing your software environment. And so therefore, you need more sophisticated observability capabilities that can help you automate that process. And that's precisely where Dynatrace comes in. That's it's a very good introduction. You know, let's you know, perhaps start a little bit uh, about cl- talking about cloud and we move from there. Um, you know, at our uh, department, we write a whole lot of things about cloud going back, but I would love to get your opinion of how, when you first started looking at Dynatrace, what kind of clients you were working with, what kind of workloads were these, who were you working with most at that time? And, you know, a little bit of history would be good because what we are trying to see is, you know, Amazon obviously disrupted the infrastructure space, started disrupting it many years ago, but then others have really done fairly well over the last few years. I would love to get some context from you as to how you think the industry evolved. Sure. Well, the uh, the evolution of Dynatrace was really around what was called application performance monitoring or APM. Uh, this was this was several years ago when this was our primary focus. And and what this involved was essentially providing observability data and instrumentation on applications specifically. The the market has evolved radically, I would say, since that point. And what customers these days are looking for is really end-to-end observability. What that includes is everything from applications to infrastructure real user monitoring, application security, and other areas. So uh, this, is, uh, this has been the evolution of Dynatrace to provide a single integrated end-to-end observability platform. And that platform is designed to provide broad-based observability information 
that, uh, as we say, deliver answers, not just data or very sophisticated directional heading of how to keep your software running rather than dashboards of red, yellow, green, is that software working or not, uh, which really doesn't give you a very precise indication of how to make sure that your software is working perfectly, which is really our aspiration. One last point that you'd asked uh, about Anurag is uh, the target customers. Well, our target customers are the global 15,000. So these are the, the largest companies in the world. And this is where complexity of data and cloud evolution is highest. And so that is where frankly, observability is most critical and automating processes is most essential. You know, uh, and now again, I'm, I'm going to try to not uh, dilute the whole concept of uh, observability, but, you know, help me understand how it works. So, for example, if I have an on-premise system, I have a bunch of applications running, you know, I must have some software to see, you know, which application is running fine and which is not running fine. Uh, and then I move some of those workloads to a public cloud environment, which means on that public cloud environment, I should have a similar screen that's showing me uh, what applications are running and what's not running. Is that how I should think of your product, but on a cloud environment? Um, then the question really I have is why not use the, 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 the product that's already comes with that provider? Sure. Well, it, it really comes down to, to the level of sophistication of the answers you are trying to receive. It, there, are, there are numerous solutions, both in open source, uh, but, but also certainly DIY, just do it yourself, is the predominant form of attacking observability today. The, the vast majority of our customers and new opportunities for bookings come from come from solutions that are migrating from DIY over to something more sophisticated, and it is simply because, frankly, those uh, those solutions uh, run out of steam in terms of automation and value. Why is that? Well, many of those solutions tend to provide, as I indicated before, dashboards. They give you an indication of whether your software is, is working. Is it red, yellow, or green? Is it working? Is it sort of working? Or is it not working? The challenge is that when you radically expand the number of workloads, the number of applications, the amount of infrastructure, the complexity of today's environments, including microservices, Kubernetes, containerization, and so forth, with end users all over the planet having different experiences, the, the ability to decipher from a simple dashboard of whether or not something's working or not, a signal-to-noise ratio that gives you an ability to troubleshoot these issues becomes downright impossible. What you need is you need a sophisticated end-to-end -end platform based on agent technology, analyzing all of these data points in real time that then provides very precise answers from that data to tell you precisely what you need to do in order to, to move forward, and then ultimately to automate that. So the level of sophistication here that we provide in our platform, based on our AI capabilities that we've already got in the platform, is far beyond anything that you would get through DIY, or frankly, even uh, the solutions that are fairly rudimentary provided by the cloud providers. 
Uh, that's that's a very well well put. And uh, perhaps uh, you know my follow up on that is, how does that change if I have a multi cloud environment? If I'm running an on premise, if I have an Amazon workload, and you know let's say some of my other stuff is working on GCP. Um, you know, how does your product integrate all those things and, you know, what kind of value does it give to the end customer? This is really a great question and, and actually allows me to extend the answer from my prior question as well, which is that one of the other reasons that, that it is becoming more and more difficult to, to simply utilize internally developed or open source or even cloud provider or hyperscaler provided solutions for observability is this very increase in complexity that is coming about from hybrid and multi-cloud environments. So for example, we will provide observability on your mainframe systems or your internally and on-premises systems, just as we do for your cloud native systems. Uh, this is not something that you would get from one of the cloud providers. Additionally, Let's say that you have a, a workload that's running in both Azure, but multi-cloud also in either AWS or GCP. Again, it is a much more sophisticated environment to analyze than would typically be provided by today's rudimentary observability solutions. We, uh, we do all that seamlessly. So the, the result of this again, and, and the core theme that I'm really trying to, to land here is this notion that complexity is growing exponentially. The number of applications is exploding. The amount of infrastructure is growing very rapidly. The, the number of end users using your solutions is, is uh, increasing at an incredible breakneck speed. The result of all this is that uh, you need a system that is uh, almost unimaginably scalable to to deal with and manage billions of data points in near real time to provide very sophisticated answers to enable you to troubleshoot things very rapidly. Uh, we've, had, we've had many customers that have uh, not been able to resolve particular issues in their software. They'll put us in even a proof of concept. And in 10 to 15 minutes later, they will, uh, they will have resolved, uh, resolved the issue uh, based on the heuristics that we provide them out of Dynatrace. So the result of all this is, is really dramatically higher availability, much better uptime, and as a result, significantly greater user experience than they, they would otherwise get uh, without our solution in place. No, it is, uh, Rick, I, I, I completely agree, and I can only envision if I'm running an infrastructure of how complicated could this be. You know, perhaps we're, let's go a little bit down in, back in history and understand when you first started looking at Dynatrace as a company, you know what kind of workloads were you looking at then? Perhaps you know teach us a little bit about this entire hybrid cloud shift. If you, when you look at clients, what kind of workloads are they were they shifting at that point? And when you say things have become far more complex, you know what is that that next level of complexity? What are they doing now that's different um, than they were, let's say, a few years ago? Well, well, let's start even earlier than that. Let's go back uh, a decade or maybe even a couple of decades. Workloads tended to be running in-house completely, uh, completely contained. And so the release process the companies would go through was I would release a new piece of software in six months. Every six months, I would have fully beta tested it internally. The, uh, the, 
evolution of, of quality control and the QA group would be to uh, manage through that and test the software fully and, and release it uh, on an infrequent basis. Let's fast forward to present. <laughs> it, it, is, uh, it is really almost diametrically opposite to that. Uh, we now have customers that have multiple releases uh, to, on, a, on a daily basis that are putting out new infrastructure, new applications, literally every day. But the result of that further is that, is that those systems are not even holistically contained within the company that's writing that software. It's using, they're using open source libraries. They're using third-party software as solutions. They're building in cloud microservices. They're using uh, containers. Why are they doing this? They're doing it because it accelerates the ability to deliver software faster, but it also creates entropy in the system as these organizations are, are frankly trying to, to deliver software at an incredible speed, but that also has to work with essentially 100% availability and uptime. It, it is, it is uh, that dichotomy of objectives. <laughs> The, the objective of getting software out quickly, but also getting software out that works perfectly every time, because as end users, that's what we have come to expect that, uh, that our customers and, and companies of, of uh, all say sizes are trying to, to manage. And, and it is Dynatrace that, uh, that can help them to achieve both of those goals simultaneously. Uh, that's very well put. Maybe I should call you as um, uh, you know the 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 Apple fitness tracker for uh, cloud-based infrastructure. <laughs> no, well, it, it, you know, it, is, it is funny because you know as I think about it, uh, Anurag, most of us as as end users can directly relate to to how much patience we have lost with regard to software that doesn't work. Think, think about the time when you were trying to buy something through your favorite e-commerce site where, where it didn't let you complete the checkout. Or think about the time where you were trying to transfer some money to, uh, to an individual and, and the transfer couldn't complete or check a bank balance. Or that you were trying to watch a uh, movie or entertainment and, and it was coming through with rebuffering. It, you know, any number of different examples and circumstances could be used here, but at the end of the day, what what seems to be universal is the fact that we have all lost patience when it doesn't work, and it doesn't take many times for that to happen before literally you change providers. That means that companies are beholden to delivering software that works perfectly because that's what we all expect as end users, and this is where the value of a solution like Dynatrace that assists you in doing that becomes quintessential. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I, you know, this is why I, I think, you know, in my view, I have seen, I, I went to a bunch of data conferences a few years ago and I've seen, uh, you know, similar products and they do a phenomenal job. The ROI has to be very high for the end customer. But, you know, within that ROI focus, because as you said, when you show it this as an RFE to a customer, um, the returns are right there, you know, in front of you. But when you look at the macro space and you've seen, you know, AWS growth slow down precipitously over the last 12 to 18 months, uh, Azure slowed down, 
everybody's worrying about what to do with their consumption-based model. H how does anything macro, it doesn't have to be the recent macro, but what does macro conditions, how do they impact your business and your ability to close deals? Well, it, whether it is uh, AWS or Azure or GCP, if you listen uh, to uh, their, their communications, and I think they're right about this, by the way, the, the vast, vast percentage of workloads still remain, still remain on-premises uh, and, and managed by customers individually, not in the cloud. We, we have a long, long ways to go here for cloud migration that, uh, that still has immense market opportunity. Aside from that, though, we really think of Dynatrace as cloud done right. And in fact, that's our tagline, <laughs> cloud done right. This notion that you have at this stage moved a huge number of workloads to the cloud already, despite the fact that there are many more to go. But you aren't necessarily getting those solutions working perfectly without a solution to do sophisticated observability with automated response like Dynatrace. So... Uh, from our perspective, from an observability lens, it is important to remember that uh, the cloud migrations preceded really the evolution of observability in the market. And that's what's really taking hold now. And, and in fact, when, when the cloud providers talk about cloud optimization, many customers are thinking about how do I get more out of my existing cloud deployments and I would argue that actually is precisely what Dynatrace does. We deliver more from your cloud because we deliver higher availability, higher reliability, and a better overall software framework. This is why customers, uh, customer after customer after customer, uh, tell me, and I'm very, very humbled, but also proud of the fact that uh, so many large companies, CIO level, CISO level, will come back and tell me, that Dynatrace is in the top few most strategic, most critical software solutions that they use internally to assure that their businesses run properly. And, and the businesses that are, are run the best are increasingly deploying sophisticated observability solutions, uh, and in particular Dynatrace to help address those items. So let me ask you something on the competitive landscape. You know, when you go out to market, who are some of the biggest, uh, you know, players that you run into um, in terms of, uh, you know, in the RFP process? Well, the, the uh, I mentioned this earlier, but the, the, biggest, uh, the biggest competitor we have by far is do it yourself. It is that you just continue doing what you're doing today. Uh, and, and yes, there are other observability vendors in, in the market that you could consider using and the, uh, the Gardner Magic Quadrant just came out very recently with an update. We've been in the leader quadrant now for 13 straight times as a leader. And uh, in the latest version, we are highest up in ability to execute and furthest out in terms of completeness vision. We're very proud of that, uh, as well as third-party validation. But it is indicative of just how critical an end-to-end -end observability solution is that provides the AI ops or AI operations capabilities needed to provide automated response to issues. And it is really the evolution of all of that that, uh, that renders uh, Dynatrace, I, I believe, in a very important position vis-a-vis -vis customer deployment and, and significant value add.
another interesting point that you know we are seeing right now obviously hybrid cloud is uh, is is the big uh, you know focus here because that's where bulk of the money is there is money in cloud native uh, companies as well but you know you look at how ibm has i think done a relatively good job with their red hat strategy it's working resonating well they just bought aptio and uh, they're going to try to go get get give people some cost benefit analysis on what workloads to keep one or the other and uh, you know many years ago cisco bought app dynamics out there and you know they have their offering over at that point but does it you know is is and and i i think new relic is being there's some p has made some offer to new relic but does it you know can you survive as an individual company for a very long period of time or do you really need to have a very large presence uh, in order to you know for your next phase of big growth Oh, I, I absolutely that uh, not only can we survive as an independent company, but we can thrive as an independent company. Uh, we, we are well north of a billion dollars at this point in annual recurring revenue. We have uh, very strong financials that uh, are have been in, in the past uh, growing in the mid 20s, 20 uh, percent range with uh, with the mid 20s to even high 20s operating margin and free cash flow percentage. So uh, we are a very well functioning business that uh, that has always believed in a combination of balanced growth and profitability we continue to operate the company in that fashion you know obviously I can't I can't perfectly predict growth in the future but uh, but the market clearly is of a size and, and magnitude uh, that uh, can support ongoing significant growth of, of Dynatrace in this market yeah you know, let, let me do this. Uh, let me um, pass it on to my colleague now, Sunil, for a little while before I think of other tough questions for you. <laughs> you know, uh, Anurag, before you do that, there's one example that may may help make our conversation so far in the discussion uh, come to light. And that is uh, an example of, of British Telecom, BT. What we did with BT is uh, we, we deployed uh, really a sizable deployment. They had, uh, as reported, over 15 observability tools, many of them developed internally. They were trying to consolidate those tools and get a better view to how their software was running. What the result has been, and this is based on their report, not ours, is they had reduced incidents, the number of incidents, by 50%, 5-0% based on deployment of Dynatrace. They had reduced or reported that they had reduced MTTR, the mean time to repair or recover from an incident, uh, the, the remaining incidents that did happen by 90%. The result of that then they reported was an expectation of cost savings of 28 million pounds over a three-year span. So uh, this gives you some indication of the tangible benefits from deploying Dynatrace. They... They reduced incidents, drastically reduced the time it takes to recover from an incident, and in so doing, reduced the churn required out of their engineering groups and therefore resulted in material cost savings. This is precisely what we love to see from our customers and an example of the real value add of, of what we see our platform delivering. No, that's a very good example. Thank you for giving that. Um, let me uh, transfer it over to Sunil and uh, then I'll come back. Thank you, Anurag. Rick, this has been a great discussion so far. What I want to touch upon is if you can extend your thoughts on the product roadmap. How, how do you see 
that panning out over the next five years, is that going to lean more towards security or analytics or automation? Yeah, thanks, Sunil. A, a little bit of all of the above is the is the answer. The, the first and foremost element, and and I think one of the biggest differentiators of Dynatrace is the notion that we deliver an end-to-end platform. It it delivers the ability to analyze and observe applications, infrastructure, uh, real user behavior, et cetera, and more. The way we do that is through a completely integrated set of data types stored in a single massively parallel processing data store, which we call Grail. Now, this is underlying platform technology, but it enables us to store logs, traces, routes, metrics, real user data, metadata, all of the data types that we use to provide observability capabilities in one place. That is then is then managed by an AI ops engine that we call Davis that sits over the top of that, basically is doing real-time at scale analysis against those data types that are retained in context to enable the best and most rapid answer as to precisely how you make sure that your software continues to run. So at its core, the first answer to your question is to maintain and evolve the efficacy of a system amidst ongoing complexity of hybrid and multi-cloud at, nor- at, at enormous scale. This ability to provide end-to-end observability with real-time analysis coming out of that based upon a fully unified platform. So that is, is, that is priority number one. But, but as you mentioned, other, other areas, uh, there are other areas of, of expansion. Uh, so for example, application security is an important one for us. Why is that? Well, this is because observability and application security are largely overlapping and integrating. That you can provide much better application security by having very sophisticated knowledge of what's happening in observability. And so combining those two, leveraging the massive quantity of observability data that we have to apply it to sophisticated application security becomes a very natural adjacency. So when log4j occurred, which was a a vulnerability that existed uh, in the world uh, uh, a year and a half or so ago, companies were trying to figure out, gosh, where were they even making log4j library calls? We could provide that data to them in real time. Where were those calls getting made so they could prioritize patching? So this was one key adjacency. Another key adjacency is in log management. Log management uh, is an area that has traditionally been deemed to be a separate area that somehow observability with traces and routes and metrics was one uh, market and then logs or log management was another market. We don't really aspire to, to that notion of the world. Rather, we see logs being a data type that assists in providing better observability data and oversight. So we see logs as integrating into the same data types and log management being another adjacency that that Dynatrace can explore. So those are some of the elements. Uh, And then you mentioned automation. If I were to overlay uh, another area, uh, one thought (laughs) that perhaps I would would share with you is that our vision, as I alluded to earlier, is, is to enable companies to produce software that works perfectly. Well, what that implies is that you can't wait for software to break and then fix it rapidly. What we aspire to do is to be predictive, 
for customers to assist them in understanding where their customer, where their software is about to have issues so that we can rectify it or help customers rectify it before anything goes wrong. And if you can do that, then you get a lot closer to that, uh, to that aspired goal. So automation of response, integration directly into code, leveraging uh, what we would refer to as predictive AI, all of these areas are natural evolutions of doing observability better and better. And by the way, this makes it even more complicated for those DIY solutions to operate effectively as you look to the future. Great. You made some great points there. Uh, to piggyback on what you just said, can you double-click on the application security opportunity? Where do you see the enterprises stand today, either in terms of workloads or dollars spent? And what kind of growth do you anticipate for the next few years? Because with growing AI powers, at least outwardly, it seems to me that enterprises need to deploy more resources rather than less. What's your view on this? Well, a couple of thoughts uh, to, to that question. The first of all is that uh, application security is still a relatively new market for us. Uh, at this juncture, we're, we're uh, just over 10% penetrated into our installed base. So we have a, a long ways to go. Uh, what we've indicated to the market is that we expect to deliver about $100 million in, in revenue here over a three-year span. Uh, we're, we're about a year or a little bit more into it at this juncture. So we have a long ways to go and have only just begun. But uh, we absolutely see application security being an enormous opportunity. Uh, we've started with vulnerability management. We expect to continue with runtime application protection. Uh, RAP or sometimes called RASP to uh, to provide even better heuristics at managing your application environment with uh, the elimination of zero day threats before they even uh, before they even occur. So these are all areas in which um, application security can can take hold for us, and we see this as a as an important adjacency as we as we look at. Great. My next question: It could be a bit premature, but I am tagging on to your earlier comments on automation. Is there anything that you can share today on the AI-driven productivity gains, especially what you are seeing internally? And if I can extend that, what sort of productivity gains can customers uh, come to expect out of Dynatrace? Great. Uh very timely and important question uh, on AI, and it may take uh, it may take me a minute just to get through a little bit of base education here. So, so to start, Dynatrace has been a leader in AI for more than a decade. Uh, we use AI, as I've as I've indicated prior previously in the conversation, to provide the analytics against this enormous data set of increasing complexity to provide sophisticated answers in basically real time. So we do that using AI today. Uh, so this is a, a very important note. We are not new to AI, in fact, uh, a leader in AI. Now from there, you have to parse AI techniques into a few different areas. The AI specifically that we have delivered heretofore and that we have built into our platform already and have had for, for many years, are, are really two specific techniques. One we refer to as causal AI, the second as predictive AI. 
both causal and predictive AI are very deterministic. They are based on real-time data that is, is very much accurate and not reliant upon the underlying data set because it is, is developing recommendations based on very specific elements in your environment. What causal AI does is it provides analytics. It will analyze your system. And if something has gone wrong, it will tell you precisely what is wrong and how to fix it, oriented at, for example, root cause analysis and, and rectification of that. Predictive AI then takes that a step further by taking causal AI results and applying machine learning to enable, enable organizations to predict where something is about to go wrong and therefore can anticipate change and, and make adjustments. Again, based on a very, very specific data coming out of your system in real time. What we have uh, recently announced though is the evolution of what we're referring to as hypermodal AI. Hypermodal AI consists of not two, but three AI techniques. So to causal AI and predictive AI, we add generative AI, which of course is what a lot of people these days are speaking of. What generative AI is focused on is productivity. How do you get something done more rapidly, whether it is writing code or providing better customer support and service or uh, whatever it might be to more rapidly get something done? But generative AI is only as good as the underlying data set. And if the underlying data set has issues or misinformation, we've already seen many cases where, where that's led to very misleading outcomes and results. What hypermodal AI from us does is it integrates causal, predictive, and generative AI into a single integrated view. And what that enables is us to use generative AI to derive, for example, natural language interfaces to increase productivity, but accessing a data store that is leveraging causal AI as well as predictive AI to provide very deterministic and specific answers. So you get the productivity benefit with certainty that the underlying data set is accurate and providing the correct recommendations. It is the combination of these AI techniques that we think will really uh, substantiate and differentiate Dynatrace in the market vis-a-vis -vis our AI strategy. This is super helpful, Rick. Maybe we can hop on to the competition. Of course, you did talk about uh, new AI-related updates in your product, and we also heard a lot from your competition over the last uh, few weeks. What is your take on that and what kind of impact do you see on your product or competitive positioning given that uh, there has been a slew of updates from competition? Yes, well, what I would uh, what I would say if I look at the market overall and Dynatrace specifically vis-a-vis -vis our competitors, our our uh, our two biggest differentiators that are notable and we believe highly sustainable into the future are number one, this notion of an end-to-end -end, uh, end -end observability platform. I've spent many moments, even in this discussion, talking about that, but it, it is really important to understand that that is hard to do. 
because you need to avoid fragmentation of data sets, fragmentation of modules, uh, what's called manual tagging, which is the, the integration, manual integration of different data sets that you then have to maintain manually as well. All of this adds complexity, it adds potential error, it adds overhead, and it is precisely the opposite direction of what customers want to move toward, which is more and more automation out of the system that is built and maintained as a sophisticated, completely integrated solution. And, and that's, uh, that is precisely what we have done. We have, uh, even when we've acquired companies in the past, maintained a significant vigilance toward ensuring that before we release something to the market, it is deeply integrated into our platform as a, as a fundamental part of its overall code structure. So that it, it, uh, we have not built up several appendages of code that require this kind of manual tagging, but rather a sophisticated, completely integrated platform to provide that. The second of, of these two major differentiators or the biggest differentiators is in fact the AI engine and the AI techniques that, uh, that I just described. This notion of us being a leader in AI for a long time, not just providing dashboards, not just providing data, but rather providing sophisticated answers from that data as well as intelligent automation, all designed to deliver flawless and secure digital interactions. And it is the evolution of that AI engine set or those AI techniques that, again, really differentiate us in the market. What competitors have talked about lately in AI are elements like natural language interfaces using Gen AI. That's great. We do that to be table stakes, though. Uh, and again, it's only going to be as good in generating productivity as the underlying data set. So what we have done by connecting generative AI for productivity to causal and predictive AI is we believe we have a much more sophisticated and valuable solution because of the, the integration of those elements. Uh, it's even further the case that we can make your natural language interface and generative AI more beneficial to you by having a closed loop with causal and predictive AI, they're actually feeding information to the generative AI engine in an iterative way to make that generative AI engine more intelligent. So yet again, another, another way in which uh, we believe that our AI strategy with hypermodal AI is differentiated in the market. That's great. And I think that brings me to one critical question among investors and uh, enterprises, which appears to be, what is the return on AI investments? Perhaps can you talk a little bit about that and what are your early thoughts? Sure, the, but, but it would be, uh, it would be a, a pretty substantial guess <laughs> at, at this juncture. Uh, and, and I would challenge almost anybody who would tell you otherwise. We are, uh, we are in the top of the first inning, I think, in the world evolution of generative AI. It is very, very early in, in overall stage as to how organizations will, will use generative AI. You know, certainly we see, uh, we see that generative AI most commonly will be used, I think, very rapidly, for example, in customer support, 
um, type use cases. That, that's clear, but uh, also in software development. And I think additionally in observability because we can provide and bring observability to more people with greater productivity in doing so. But uh, it's going to take some time to evolve. What I what I absolutely do believe is is that generative AI is going to be and represent a huge sea change in in the market as as uh, its use cases evolve. So I am very much of the mindset that generative AI will indeed be globally transformational to how businesses operate. But uh, it it's going to take uh, some time for that to evolve for sure. Sure, great. I will squeeze in one last question before I hand the mic back to Anurag. I would love to know how is Dynatrace approaching AI governance and data privacy issues? Well, from a governance and AI privacy point of view, we we absolutely are extremely mindful of the underlying data sets that are accessible. The the good news uh, the good news about what we're doing in AI with generative AI is that we are using a data set that by definition is owned by the organization that uh, that is using the generative AI. In fact, through our causal and predictive AI capabilities, so we can be confident of things like regulatory compliance, copyright, and and other elements that that uh, we, Dynatrace, are using those data sets in an acceptable, uh, legally acceptable and compliance acceptable way. So that's a, that's a good start. One thing that we specifically are, are not targeting to do is to provide a, an assessment of the validity of, of the outcome of generative AI <laughs> results based on databases and data sets that we don't control uh, because uh, that obviously would be out of scope for us to assess the, the validity of those data sets. But for the data sets that we do control, we, we know that we can deliver that within an, a successful and acceptable regulatory and compliance framework. Thank you, Rick. I will pass the mic back to Anurag. Uh, thank you, Sunil. Um, Rick, there are a couple of things that are on my mind and uh, m- moving it back to the industry level stuff. Um, there is a lot of noise that I hear from investors about you know workloads moving back to on-premise. What has your experience been? Because you're right in the middle of a lot of these workloads. Um, is that a trend that you're seeing? If that's happening, why is it happening? Would love to get, uh, you know, what you think about it. Well, in, in short form, Anurag, no, I don't, uh, I don't see workloads traditionally moving back to on-premises. I think that's uh, at least in, of course, there will be exceptions to that. But in general, I think that we'll st- still continue to see workloads move from on-premises to the cloud, not the other way around. So just not a, not a trend that I've seen or would expect to see as we look ahead. No, that's very, very nice to hear, actually. Thank you. And then lastly, I mean, I, I Sunil, did uh, go into Gen AI stuff with you broadly as it relates to Dynatrace. But, you know, as a tech visionary, I, I would love to hear what you think uh, Gen AI is going to do to just the broader tech space or, you know, for that matter, the general society over the next, you know, several years. Well, as I, as I, 
referred to earlier, I really do think that Gen AI is going to be quite transformational as to how business gets done. It, um, you know, you think of a customer support example, which is probably the most often used one. If you bring in a new customer support specialist and you try to train that individual, uh, just using this as an example, over over weeks or even months to, to do a particular role to provide technical support or whatever it might be, imagine how difficult that is to develop that source of knowledge versus a generative AI structure that through natural language can interact with a data set to to develop and deliver against all of the data that has been developed to date to help solve a problem. And you can imagine that Gen AI can do presumably a much better job at that than an individual who's new to the job and just doesn't have that experience. What is, uh, what is going to be important, though, from a regulatory standpoint, I believe, is that it is critical to ensure that end users know, are they interacting with a bot uh, or <laughs> that is then uh, accessing Gen AI, Gen AI type data underneath the hood, or are they inter- interacting with an individual uh, person? And, and making sure that that uh, distinguishing characteristic continues to be visible, I think, is really quite critical. But uh, this is just one one example. Uh, the, the world is going to write more code. It's going to develop more workloads. It's going to develop uh, customer support more rapidly. Uh, you see individuals using it in a consumer way to to integrate uh, integrate all sorts of new thinking more rapidly. So I, I really, whether it is in the consumer space or the enterprise space, it's going to evolve. It's going to evolve in a transformational way. And I think what enterprises are really going to get more and more mindful of rapidly is how do they make sure that they fully maintain and can control the efficacy of the underlying data set. That is really, in my view, one of the biggest keys to success here of generative AIs to ensure the validity of the underlying data set. And enterprises in particular are not going to want the liability associated with copyright violations or other sorts of things on data that they can't control, let alone the concerns that that data may be misleading or simply erroneous, which uh, they'll all always uh, want to manage as well. Yeah, got it. Thank you so much. You know, this has been a very interesting discussion. I truly enjoyed it. Your business is, uh, um, you know, I, I see the growth rate irrespective of the economic climate good. Your gross margins improved over the last few years. It's very uh, near the top echelons of software companies. You generate a decent amount of free cash flow. So we'll love to hear back a year from now as to how the world is progressing um, of uh, everything that you do. And uh, with that, let's close it out. And thank you so much for taking the time.